I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. It's farewell Premier League season 2019-20 after nearly one whole year of football interruptus. We'll assess where the cards landed on the final day with a great escape for Aston Villa, doom for Bournemouth and Watford and Champions League football for plucky Manchester United. Chelsea were the other team to make it to Europe's top table. How do we rank Frank Lampard's first season in charge? Did Jose Mourinho emerge semi-victorious at Spurs? And who were the year's biggest over and under achievers? Plus, what happens next for English football? Which Oasis song did Maurizio Sarri channel as Juve won the Scudetto? And our favourite ever hat-tricks. Let's take you now into our series of remote audio recording facilities where I'm joined, first of all, by a delighted Matt Law. How are you, Matt? <laughs> yeah, pretty delighted. Um, I feel nice and relaxed. It's like a massive weight has been lifted off my shoulder. Uh, fantastic. With Aston Villa's survival. Yeah, glad to hear it. How about you, Mina? Are you in good spirits as well? Yeah, I am. I'm kind of sad it's all over. But well, I'm, I'm okay. We've got some stuff to look forward it's to. It's not yet. all over. That is not true. Well, we've got the FA Cup and then the Europe. Yeah. At least we have. Yeah, Italy's still going, I guess. Yeah, the really, really sad thing is there's no um, ICC this season, is there? I know. It's, it's really heartbreaking, Tom. I just don't think you guys understand. <laughs> the pinnacle of all known football. How are you, JJ Paul? Wonderful. How are you, Tom? Oh, I'm thriving, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I've we, we've made some tweaks to my remote audio recording facility, so I'm now surrounded by all of the towels that I own and a duvet that is draped <laughs> over a dryer uh, two of my wife's dresses are hanging up on some CD racks in order to dampen the room. And I've also turned the lights off this week because I've got a new bulb in and it's making a high-pitched noise. So it's very atmospheric. That's good. Have you have you tried yeah. doing the technique where you have like, have like a bed sheet, like a whole quilt like hung over you? So you're in like a little den. <laughs> Not yet. I could do a Mumra impression uh, and yeah. that would be... Um, that yeah, one's that good for make, singing. Yeah, yeah. Diff- different ha- podcast. Have you seen this Demi Moore thing in her bathroom with the, with a the rug and stuff? It was curious, wasn't it? I, the thing that confused me most about it is why would you have carpet in your bathroom? Yeah, and she, I don't, well, firstly, she, she blames it on Bruce Willis, but whatever. But maybe that's what you should do. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to blame everything on Bruce Willis. Let's focus on the football. Uh, we had an amazing end to the championship season last Wednesday, but 
it felt to me it was a bit of a flat final day in the top flight. Although not for you, Mina. You said it was excellent on social media. Yeah, I think it was fun. I don't know. I mean, I guess I know what you're talking about in the sense that, you know, it was a little dull that there was nothing unexpected when it came to the race for the top um, uh, four. But I think what was exciting is also because they were all playing at the same time. And I have like little alerts for every time a goal goes in. So I was getting all these alerts because it was like Norwich City scored and then it was disallowed and it was Man City. And it was just going a little bit crazy. And I just thought it was going to be so fun like to see what was going to happen between Bournemouth, Watford um, and Aston Villa and, you know, what was going to happen. And then Villa gets a goal and I was, I was like, oh my God. But, you know, where the West Ham equalised, I was like, what if they concede a last minute one? So I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, it did threaten to become quite dramatic at the end, but didn't quite make it. But I suppose it was very dramatic for you, Matt. You were there at the London Stadium. What was the experience like for you watching Villa? And did you wear your lucky hat? I did wear my lucky hat. I couldn't, I couldn't live with the thought of not wearing it and it, uh, and then us going down. I'd blame myself forever. Could you describe so, the hat for us, for anyone yeah. who's it, not seen it? It is a bucket hat, uh, straight from the sort of 1990s, with an Adidas symbol on it, but it says the word adored underneath. Um, it's a pretty hideous hat. Uh, it looks completely <laughs> ridiculous on me, but it's now officially retired. I can never wear it again for anything. Oh, that's um, good. But it came through. But I, I just wanted to sort of explain because I, I don't know whether any anyone else has. Um, I've supported Villa through relegation battles, but I've never supported Villa in into a last day relegation decider before into this survival Sunday, and I found it the most stressful three or four day, days ever in terms of being a football supporter. Not in my life, obviously. There's more important things in life, um, but in terms of pure football. So stressful. The minute we had beaten Arsenal, after the 10, 15 minutes of ecstasy of just celebrating that win around my living room, um, I just quickly switched into nervous as hell for days. Couldn't think of anything. Felt sick. Didn't want to eat. It was the <laughs> worst few days ever. And I, I just got such sympathy now for fans who who go through this. It is horrendous. And then being that, I mean, obviously I was working, which added a, a different layer of, of difficulty to the day, but being there and just watching it and knowing the scores and just, even though Villa never actually sunk into the relegation zone and looking at it um, unemotionally, we probably were never in that much trouble through the day, but that knowledge most of the day that if West Ham just scored another goal or scored a goal before we scored, that we would drop into the bottom three and then have to sort of get ourselves back out of it during the game was horrendous. It was just awful, awful, awful. And I, I didn't even, then when the final whistle went, I didn't actually feel the ecstasy because there were no fans there. So there wasn't like a loud cheer or anything. I was just watching the Villa play bounce on the pitch. So all I just felt was really drained afterwards. Just came back home, had a few beers and just felt really, really drained. <laughs> <laughs> feel good today. Great. I feel relaxed and like I've got this horrible thing off my shoulders. But yeah, it's so, so horrible. It's funny how it sneaks up on you, isn't it? I think you get to a certain age and think, oh, I'm above all that now. But I, I remember before QPR in the playoff final in 2014, I was I was an absolute mess. But weirdly enough, once the game had started, I felt fine. I think once it's actually going on, you're like, OK, it's a football match. I understand a football match. It's all the unknowns beforehand that I think are most um, frightening. Yeah, the waiting and the, the constantly in your head, or what if this happens and what if that happens? And oh, just the worst. Football's yeah. the worst. But you feel like that when you're watching like the World Cup. And you're watching, I don't know, way. I feel like that when I'm watching Italy, no? 
I don't know. I don't know. have. I, I. I do. I'm not one of these people who said they don't like England and they don't care about England. I do, but it doesn't get me the same way as my club. What next for Villa now, Matt? Did, do you think? Um, I mean, credit to them for sticking with Dean Smith. Did they ever come close to getting rid of him? And is this the end for Jack Grealish? Uh, I think on the first one, I think the only time he was in real trouble was after the Leicester defeat, before before obviously everything went into lockdown, Villa had lost 4-0 at Leicester and they were going to play Chelsea at home in their next game. And I got the impression that were they to go into that next game and lose convincingly again, um, then they may have panicked and changed. But I, I didn't get information. That was That was more just a reading of a situation. I've been impressed with the way they've held their nerve while people like me have been, you know, losing losing everything around them. Um, Jack Grealish, look, Villa, as Dean Smith said, Villa Villa have got extremely wealthy owners, which I think gets overlooked. Um, they've got about the third wealthiest owners in the entire league. Um, they're ridiculously wealthy um, and they will spend big again uh, this summer. And it puts them in a very strong position on Jack. The only way I really see Jack going is if Jack goes in and says, I want to go and I don't want to play for Villa anymore. I, I don't see Man United offering a fee that would convince Villa to sell without the need for Jack to say he wants to go. I'm not even sure anyone will offer them the money they want anyway. I, I, I can well see Jack starting next season at Villa now. Can I ask, would you, trusting that you have such owners like this, would you trust um, Dean Smith to be the man in charge of this going forward? Yeah, 100%. You do. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I think he's done. He had to rebuild a whole squad in the summer. Um, they had no. They finished a playoff final. They had all their lone players going back and everything. A lot of it came in late. I, I definitely would. And I actually think his management. If you look at him before lockdown and after lockdown, you can see a massive progression of him as, man, as his management. I mean, all their stats defensively have got an awful lot better since lockdown. He's been really clever since lockdown in developing this this almost World Cup camp with them all staying over after games to, uh, with each other. They've had sort of 1am debriefs. He's fostered the team spirit. He's managed it really well. Um, so he definitely deserves deserves now a go in a, in a summer in which, okay, it's a short summer for everyone, but last summer they'd finished the playoffs so the season finished late. They had to build a squad from nothing. He deserves now the chance of a more settled summer where they've got a chance to just try and add a bit of quality to, to various positions that they need to, rather than trying to buy a whole squad in a massive trolley dash. Questions about other club heroes uh, with the relegated teams. Watford and Bournemouth are down. Eddie Howe and Troy Deeney facing uncertain futures with both of those teams. Do you think they'll stick around, Mina, for a season in the Championship? I don't know. I think both of them will need to really sit down and talk to the respective people around them to decide. I can't imagine Bournemouth without Eddie Howe. Um, I just feel like he's committed so much of his past and, and his lifetime to them. I I feel like he's sort of been part of this group of people, you know, with the owner and, and other people that have been there since the start you know, micromanaging this side and not only just doing the basic, you know, not just doing what a coach does, but so much more that I just don't know how he wakes up in the morning and doesn't do that job. Um, obviously, I think for him, doors are still open. I know that perhaps he's lost a certain sheen to his reputation. Um, 
but I, I mean, he's still a tremendous coach and I still think he'll get a great job and there shouldn't be any stain on or blemish on his CV. But I don't know. I don't know what's going to go forward. I don't know whether he wants to go through this again. I don't know whether the club think he he's ready to do it. Um, he seemed so heartbroken when he was speaking. And yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see. Same for Troy Dean. He's got to sit down and figure out what he wants to do. Really, really enjoyed Troy Deeney's interview at the end of uh, Watford's game last night, where he said, uh, basically said, like, "Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to be too negative about this. There's too much negativity around." And then said, "Well, if anyone wants to insult me, here's my, uh, here's my um, at on uh, social media." So you know, have I've it. got real world problems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, uh, fair play to him. What about at the top of the table? Vindication for JJ Ball as Oleg and Solskjaer clinches Champions League football for Manchester United in the end. Do you expect them to kick on next season, JJ? And what can they achieve next year? Uh, I think it all depends on what the recruitment's like. They've got a good team in place. Uh, but I mean, the first team is, re- is very strong, but the squad maybe isn't. So a, a few, maybe maybe two or three really big signings if they have the the funds to do it. I don't know if anything has changed. I mean, they're hugely uh, wealthy, but whether the whole pandemic situation might have changed some of that. And and who they who they go for because they've got I mean they've got lots of players on the books but they need to make sure they've got places for players like uh, Williams and and Greenwood to be there maybe a a forward probably a striker and someone who can help in midfield and probably a central defender although the problem they've got is that players like Lindelof um, are sometimes they look exactly like the kind of player they need and Maguire looks like a mess and then they were like against Leicester that was that was the that that's how it looked. Whereas the week before, Maguire looked like the player that they needed to have in that as a centre back, and Lindelof was all over the place. So they could probably do with another centre back, especially because Solskjaer likes to change his system quite a lot. That he's quite flexible, and they change depending on the opponent, which is, I think is a really strong uh, thing to have. So yeah, what they can achieve next season is probably. I mean, they're still probably a cup team at the moment, but um, building to try and take them up to next to next level. I don't think Liverpool will be as good next season. Man City will probably be a bit better. But there's absolutely room for both of them to not win the title. I mean, you just And what, you that... think he's going to challenge? Who, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer or yeah. Manchester United, the football club? Probably the football club, Manchester United, with all their many millions, great players. I mean, I don't know why you've got it in for Solskjaer. He's... Like a decent I don't, coach. but I'm saying is no, he's obviously been a very decent coach. Like, you know, like he came out yesterday and he's like, This is vindication for people who didn't assume that we were gonna finish everywhere. But I do yeah. also think there has been a level of sort of like, Oh my gosh, this is amazing stuff and I'm like, Yeah, well, this is still a side that spent hundred and fifty million in the summer, which is But who's insane. saying that? Who's saying it's amazing stuff? A lot of people, he's very happy. He's saying we're not that far away from contending and I'm thinking you're I very think... far away from contending. You're still well, thirty three points behind Liverpool. But you've got to play the game. You can't just come out and say, like, we're miles away from it. Like, you've got to come out and say, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. You can't let the players lose confidence in themselves. You can't make it look like you don't believe in them. You've got to play, he's, He plays it very down the middle, so he doesn't really go either side of that uh, that kind of line whenever he does his media stuff. I bet behind the scenes he knows that he needs... I mean, he played in some of the best ever Manchester United teams. He knows the kind of characters he needs. He knows the kind of quality of like, player he needs. Bruno Fernandes changed their entire season when he came in. They need another mm. three players that good. They need to identify them. They need to work out whether they can. Pay, it's worth paying the money for them. They need to work out whether it's actually better looking for someone who's not quite at that level at a team just below the Champions League bracket and bring them up. Sort of like what Liverpool did when they signed players like Sadio Mane, uh, 
you could even argue maybe more Salah and taking them up to that next level because they have to get to uh, the next stage. But the players that you need to take them to, like, so say you've got um, David De Gea as a goalkeeper, he's making mistakes, whatever reason that is, maybe it's lack of confidence, lack of focus, uh, don't really know why. And then people are saying that you should have Dean Henderson in. Manchester United should have one of the best goalkeepers in the world, one of the top 10 goalkeepers in the world. Is Dean Henderson one of those? No. Could he be in, like... So who would you go for? Well, I mean, the best keeper in the world just now is probably Jan Oblak, but I don't think Atletico Madrid are going to sell him for less than, than mental money. So you can't really go after someone like that unless they want to like blow their entire budget on that. When you could say that if De Gea is able to get to his level again and you've got Dean Henderson pushing him maybe as a reserve keeper, I mean, it's not great for Henderson's development, but actually maybe it might turn out to be the making of him if he's pushing against De Gea, he has to step up again. Because he's the best player, best goalkeeper at Sheffield United. So where's his challenge? If he's at Manchester United, he's got to try and usurp David De Gea. So that could be a thing that drives them both on. You never know. That competition for places often makes players better. So then you look at like who's who's around. Like Hugo Lloris is not going to leave Spurs, is he? You're not going to get any of the guys in the top bracket. Donnarumma is not going to leave AC Milan for anything less than stupid money. So maybe the best thing in terms of where they're building the squad is to actually keep De Gea in place, even though he's making these mistakes. It's easy for the, a lot of people like Roy Keane or, or whoever's on the TV say, just get rid of him, get rid of him. But I mean, the, the amount yeah. of millions of pounds involved in shifting on a player like De Gea, because if they want to get rid of him, he's devalued. So you're not going to get your 70 million from that you that he'd be worth, even though he's not playing like a 70 million player just now. I, and I don't I, think I, Henderson I, is the answer. I guess like what it is when I'm watching them is that I think that they won and I think he's done a good job, but I think he's done just a good job. I don't think that he's he's sort of like, you know, says you are not that far away from contending for the title. I'm thinking you've got 66 points. That's two more than what, you know, Moyes managed. I, I, I mean, I, I just yeah. think I'm just going to sort of interrupt. Sorry. Um, Go for it. I, I just think we um, he's done. He's done as well as he could do in the Premier League. If you, you yeah. start the season, you say as well as they can do, he's, he's, he's come third. So that's good. It's not amazing, but it's good. It's very good. You know, he, he's, done, he's done what he can do. And, and then after that, I think we've seen, I think the encouraging thing for Man United fans and Man United going forward with Solskjaer is we've, ha- we've seen these spells from Man United where you've seen where it's going and what could happen. You've seen them have their little runs of games where they've suddenly looked incredible. Yeah. Obviously, that that is the main encouragement, I think, um, because you can see sort of how he wants to play, sort of how dynamic this team can be, and it's then finding a bit of consistency with that and adding around it. So I think that's encouraging. The only point I would I would add to, to what you two have both been saying, and I sort of agree with both of you in a way, um, is I actually think it's quite hard to to judge Solskjaer's season until we finish the Europa League. Because if he wins the Europa League, albeit they're in the Champions League and it doesn't matter from anything else, if he were to win the Europa League and he's got third place and won the Europa League, then that's a pretty impressive that's season. That's pretty impressive, yeah, absolutely. So yes. I, I, I would personally, and I know it's, it's not... It's not the best thing to do for podcasts, but I would just reserve judgment a little bit. Um, because at the moment, I, I would probably agree with Mina in that it's a good season and he probably hasn't overperformed as such. But I'd also agree with JJ that there's a lot there to be very encouraged about. And were he then to go and win the Europa League, it would be a very, very impressive season from him. Well done, Matt. You found the middle ground. <laughs> Let's move on to Chelsea, who claimed fourth place. Um, would you say they've overachieved this season, Matt, uh, compared to Manchester United? We mean are expected third from Man United. Fourth seems like a very good return for me for Frank Lampard's first year in charge. 
Yeah, I think they have. I mean, I, I think I'd, Lampard has referred to a lot at the moment, but I think he's right that certainly I, at the start of the season, thought, you know, sixth, seventh. Um, I thought if they could get top four, it would be incredible. You know, they, they lost their last, their best player. Uh, they couldn't replace him because obviously they didn't have a transfer window. He was blooding a lot of youngsters. He himself obviously hadn't managed in the Premier League. That was a massive unknown. I think you've got to say he's, he's overachieved. I mean, I, I got a bit of stick for this on, on social media. And I take the point on other managers, particularly someone like Chris Wilder, but it's particularly if they go and win the FA Cup, I would have Lampard as my manager of the season after Jurgen Klopp. I really would. I think he's done that well. And I think he's set them up now so well. He's given them such an opportunity for the future with what he's done and what he's integrated and how he's brought that club back together. Um, I think he's done a really magnificent job. I mean, if you look at, just, just to take one player out of it, Mason Mount has made, it's his breakthrough season, he's aged 21. He's made 51 appearances. Um, yesterday was his seventh Premier League goal and five Premier League assists. I think he's played in four, posi- four different positions as well for Lampard this season. He's absolutely relied and leaned on him. I mean, just that, that in itself just shows you, I think, the, the job... Lampard has done and also how well these some of these young players have done for him also when you when you consider Callum Hudson-Odoi you know was injured and everyone thought like that's going to be a huge loss losing a generational talent in Eden Hazard in which they completely relied on him under Sadie for a lot of you know just wins just look to him to score something and losing that and changing everything around you as well and not having money to spend it's there's no way that I thought that he would be finishing where he is I mean obviously what they do have is very good team and a very good youth system which that was that's been brought in to to really you know shine but I, I think that on that level Chris Wilder might have done just a little bit better than Lampard but yeah my third yeah. choice yeah certainly working with less I suppose the thing about Chelsea do you think about how badly it could have gone Frank Lampard when that appointment was made it felt like this is a bold choice and he's done fairly well at Derby, but you very easily could have seen that going horribly awry and, and have him uh, sacked by Christmas. But he's he's actually looked incredibly capable and to be taken on a club of that size so early in his career, I think it bodes very well for him and for Chelsea. Uh, we will be saying goodbye to David Silva, who has retired um Great game against Norwich. Give, give us some, give us some love on Silver JJ uh, for his contribution to Manchester City down the years. I mean, probably one of their uh, best ever, if not the best ever player they've had. I think if he played for um, one of the, the teams that's got all the millions more fans, like United or Liverpool or Arsenal, he'd be celebrated as, you know, just be one of the, the greatest ever Premier League players, no doubt. But he is, and uh, it's. He came through in the same generation as players like Iniesta and in that in the Spain squad meant he didn't maybe star as much. But a lot of the stuff he does is kind of behind the scenes rather than being the guy who uh, makes the headlines happen. And that's one of the things that's so special about him is that anyone who um, has managed him or has played with him talks about how special player he is. Often in the, the first time of training when he, when he came in, he just upped the level at Manchester City straight away. I mean, this season doesn't feel like he's done an awful lot. But he's got 10 assists, 6 goals. He's involved in everything in the final third that City do. And he, Guardiola still relies on him really heavily in games where he knows that there's going to be a lot of um, threading the ball through tight spaces. There's few players I can think of that I've seen play in the Premier League quite like Silva because there's not many that play in the Premier League that are so kind of nimble and balanced and 
do the little delicate touches like he does when it tends to be a lot of players who um, like a long punt from 30 yards or can drive with the ball. The kind of I think physical attributes are admired, particularly in England. And uh, it's nice having a player like Silva who is not the antithesis of that, but is he, he does these kind of magical things with the ball rather than using his physique to create anything that makes him a really special player. Yeah, I wonder if he's one of those players, a bit like Paul Scholes, whose reputation it felt like really grew in retirement and yeah, maybe, the whole yeah. generation of footballers um, uh, who was, I think, not necessarily appreciated his time fully, but I think is, uh, we'll, we'll all come to regard him as a true hero. Farewell as well to Leighton Baines, who announced his retirement after Everton's defeat to Bournemouth, um, who's a player I enjoyed watching very much at his peak uh, and throughout his career. And I, I love the retirement after the game as well. There's something very classy about that. Let's move on and talk about who we think has had good seasons. And I'll take any nominations you've got for players, teams, managers uh, or fans who you think have had a particularly good year. Um, shall I open a bid in with Spurs? I think Spurs have had a good year, all told. What? <laughs> I was like, yeah, wait, I'll you're have to, you're have to elaborate on that one. Have, have, they not, have they not just about pulled it out of the bag at the end? That's yeah. not the same as having a good year. Mm. Surviving when we thought they were going to completely crash. Is that what it is? Yeah, but you know, no cane for ages. Uh, it looked, it, you know, it looked like they were going to be absolutely marooned at, in the bottom half of the table at one point. Yeah, it's probably not a good season, but you know, it's I'm a very opening, spurs I'm opening season, the bidding. What mm. I would agree with is it's been a good season in the end for Jose Mourinho. Okay. Who, yeah. Who I think is beginning to possibly rebuild himself where. I, when he was out of work and before Spurs started imploding, I couldn't see where he was coming back. Um, and all of a sudden, he's he's back at a club where, he, okay, he's not going to win the league, but he's he's got the chance of rebuilding his reputation again. So I would not agree with Tottenham, but I would agree maybe with Jose Mourinho. I so enjoy his comments on financial fair play. <laughs> he's not going to let that lie. That's that's going <laughs> to be so his funny. new thing. I mean, it's basically his excuse now. Yes, it's, it's his it's mm, his inbuilt excuse it's because it's it will be the thing he constantly hammers and hammers, and it will be the thing that's used to explain why Tottenham are not challenging with Chelsea and not challenging with Manchester United to really catch Man City and, and Liverpool. And and you know he's got a point because he is at a club who can't compete financially and in the transfer market at that level, so he probably can't compete with that club, those clubs. But he is going to hammer us with that. Hmm. A less controversial suggestion for good season would be Jordan Henderson. Uh, yeah. Do you think he deserved the Football Writers Association award then? I do, yeah. That's um, who I would have voted for if I'd actually put my vote in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, Henderson, although not, I think we covered this before a couple of times, but although not like the technically best player on that Liverpool team, they are noticeably better when he is in the side. And uh, the way he has led that, the, the way that he was the central part of all the momentum that they built and was always the guy who's running into folk and leading and shouting and telling people where to go and organising uh, in one of the, until recently, one of the best Premier League sides we've ever seen. I mean, the momentum was always going to end at some point. So, yeah, for me, absolutely. I mean, De Bruyne is the best player and he probably will be until he leaves the Premier League. But, yeah, for me, for me, Clive. I think, I think if we remember in the whole season, I think... Yeah, it's going to be easy now to just say, oh, Leicester bottled it and Leicester messed up their season. But I, I think if you look over a whole season, I, I do think Brendan Rodgers has done a very good job at Leicester. Um, 
And I do also actually yeah. think Johnny Evans has had a sensational season. Maybe just in recent weeks, and obviously that Man U game didn't go great for him. But I actually think Johnny Evans, I can't remember how much Leicester paid for him. It was something obscenely low. Um, but he's had a, he, a three quarters of the season, he was incredible. And I don't think all that should just be forgotten about and written off just because Leicester didn't get in the Champions League. So I, I yeah, would definitely nominate those two. Yeah. I see uh, Sean Dyche and Burnley need a heap of credit as well. Like Burnley just keep not going away. And Dice is doing it on a budget of about twenty pounds with thirteen players or something. It's ridiculous. Yeah, I, I remember watching to everyone else. I remember watching Burnley quite early on in the season get get uh, whopped at Chelsea, and we're looking at them thinking they're going down. Mm-hmm. They were horrendous and they're in a really bad run at the time. And t- to pull them out of there and then get them where they have in the division. I mean, Sean Dice just yeah, I'm. I'm with Jay. I'm fully paid up member of the Sean Dyche. I mean, I, I wonder whether he might be be wondering now if he could damage his stock if he were to to stay another year because they don't back him and he's able to invest and recruit you know in three big players that can take them forward and those recruits actually work out, then uh, it could be that they're in trouble again. But like you said, he he's managed to turn it around and, and do really well with him. I also think Ralph Hassenhuttle, um I don't know if he's underrated. Maybe he's just rated. But I think he's a like he'd be great at any any top ten. He's almost there any top ten club. Uh, the way that Southampton play is really impressive. It's fun to watch. Get a lot of energy out of them, and he's having to manage quite a few difficult things going on there. Again, if he's if their recruitment is as good as it used to be, I know they've lost a the guy to to Rangers that used to do all the recruitment. Um, it could be that he's able to take them up a notch. But then when you say about this with Southampton and Burnley, what's really the point? Because they're always going to be below Arsenal and Spurs and Chelsea and United. Like, you can't really break through that unless you uh, are phenomenally lucky and buy really, really well. But if they, both those clubs have managers who, if they were to stumble upon the right players they could get in to improve, would be able to do that. Hassan Hutel was amazing for Leipzig and Germany and I really thought mm. at the time that he deserved a, a chance with Bayern Munich but when he arrived in Southampton and, and I thought that they would really kick on and then there was that 9-0 nine lo- nine loss to Leicester and I was like, oh, I don't know about this anymore, you know? Um, but really credit to how he's changed everything there. I think that is such a good shout but surely, surely the greatest overachievers have to be Sheffield United. Also, when You're... you consider... According to transfer market, they have the lowest market value. JJ, you're somebody who says it's always the you know the players that make you. They their players cost the least from every single team in, in the Premier League. And they've done amazing things. And they've left nothing to chance. Everything's been studied by Wilder. They've got such fostered such unity. And not just them, by the way, also Graham Potter and his Brighton side that you guys thought might be in the relegation spots when we were discussing this early on. Look how well they've kicked on look how the fact that the end of the season has been so quiet and calm and he's just brought in you know the youngsters after what was a horrendous season last year as well like those two guys have done a tremendous job no um a lot Sheffield United have I'm, I'm being flippant and silly on Sheffield United they've done a brilliant job while it just seems we can't go one week without saying how amazing they are um, I, know, I, I am a big fan of Wilder though yeah. but they, they they deserve everything they deserve everything Brighton's a funny one because I think Graham Potter's done a really good job. Mm-hmm. Um, 13th. But they've actually. 15th, but sorry, 15th. They've not actually, positionally and survival wise, done that much better than Chris Hewton did. 
It's a funny one. He's got them playing better football and I feel more encouraged and optimistic for them for the future. Um, and I do think, that, I think he looks like he's a very good coach. They, they look as though they're doing quite good things. Lalana's a sensible signing for them as well. Mm -hmm. So I, I'd agree with you at that. But then people sometimes argue with me when I talk to them about Potter and they say, well, Brighton weren't that worse off with Chris Hewton in terms of where they finished. And but I suppose the difficult thing is to, is to change your style that much and not go down. That's the object of the game, isn't it? It's a yeah. big risk to change, to change your approach. And, and if you can do that and stay up in the league, you've kind of won, haven't you? And I would say what we've been talking about for the last few minutes has been managers. I think it's been broadly a good season for managers. It seems like we have lots of settled teams now in the Premier League and a few fewer sackings than usual. I mean, obviously Watford was a bit of a strange one this year, but if you took them out of it... Only four managers left, Pochettino, Emery, Marco Silva at Everton and Pellegrini at West Ham. It seems to me that things are becoming a little bit saner on that front and more clubs are attempting to choose a plan and, and stick to it, as we saw with Villa sticking with Dean Smith. And we've got to have a word too for Jamie Vardy, who claimed his first Premier League golden boot at the age of 63. So very well done to him. We're interrupting this podcast to bring you news of another Telegraph show we think you might like. It's called Planet Normal. And it's hosted by me, Liam Halligan. And me, Alison Pearson. We're both Telegraph columnists who share the view that far too often those who shout the loudest on the telly just don't represent the views of normal people. So take a trip with us to Planet Normal. We're joined by some stellar guests, well-known voices from politics, business and the arts. All from different fields, but they have one thing in common. They're at the top of their game, but distinctly down to earth. The good news is I finally learnt what a podcast is and even how you subscribe to it. It's actually quite simple. Search for Planet Normal on your podcast app or click on the link in the show notes for this episode. You don't really know what a podcast is, do you? I am one. Look, I am one. Who needs to know what it is? I am one. Okay, shut up. <laughs> what about bad seasons? Um any uh, we could have you know Jordan Pickford again Jordan Pickford go on Matt straight off I mean David De Gea is the obvious goalkeeper and Kepa Aritha Balaga is, uh, is another one it's not actually been a great season with goalkeepers has it there's, there's a more broader what? a broader subject did you imagine this would happen to Kepa I, I just felt like he was yeah well I did because I saw him last season <laughs> he wasn't great last <laughs> season um, but Jordan Pickford has I don't get Jordan Pickford at all. His, his attitude seems all wrong at the moment. He, he doesn't seem to be taking football seriously. I don't know what goes on privately. He may be the best trainer. He may be so dedicated. I know he's a good, he's a nice lad and a good lad from being around him with England. But he just seems to be making ridiculous mistake after ridiculous mistake. And he seems to just chuckle to himself whenever it happens. doesn't seem to be particularly perturbed by it. Um... I, I don't, I don't get what's going on with him at all. He's, he's gone to pieces this season. I mean, he's fortunate in a way that there's not been any England games because I think that will, to start with, keep him his England place. But I wouldn't be massively surprised if Carlo Ancelotti is wondering about bringing in a goalkeeper who who might not be brought in as a new number one, but someone who he can definitely replace him with if he starts next season badly, a sort of a one-stroke two, as it were. Goalkeeper stroke right back. What about Mesut Ozil? Yeah, I think that's that's a huge thing for him because it just seems that whichever and whomever comes in to train Arsenal and takes over eventually finds out that he's not someone that they want to include in their team. And for someone who's so highly paid and, and who is supposedly so ambitious, 
it's really amazing to see that no coach has really embraced him or what he can provide to the team and just continues to leave him out. Him, I, I feel like it's been a little bit of a bad season again for De Gea and I feel really sorry for him because I think he looks terrified. Like even watching him against Leicester City when he got really angry with Vardy trying to go for the ball, which he legitimately has every reason to. Um, but I also want to give out a shout to Danny Ings, by the way, because I think he's had a tremendous season as well. And Aaron Connolly, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, JJ? Have we seen any tactical trends going out of fashion? Has it been a bad season for... Uh, wing backs? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, it's all cyclical, isn't it? But one of the things I think is interesting about this season is that um, I feel like the Premier League has a lot of really high-level managers who all have clear styles and are all quite tactically flexible. So although there are some with clear identities, like Jurgen Klopp's, for example, uh, Pep Guardiola's, you know, they're very, very obvious what they're going to try and do. Chris Wilder, you, you know exactly what he's going to try and do. Um, you have... A lot of teams who change their system from week to week, so sometimes they'll approach it really defensively, sometimes they'll try and push higher and take it on, and they'll often change their, their shape within the system. I mean, Chelsea have done it a lot. They play with a back three or a back four, but they change the way that they attack as well. Accordingly, you've got Arsenal now who um, went to playing that kind of 3-4-3 uh, three, three system under Arteta because he realised he needed to get through the season and get some points picked up. But then people, teams like Wolves, they never deviate from that 3-5-2 or 3-4-3. It's always built upon uh, blocking it halfway and then hitting them on the counter. And it, it works really well because they're really good at it. And it just needs improvement on recruiting. And this is one of the things that I think in the Premier League a few years ago, everyone just started in like a 4-2-3-1. And they wanted their players to work harder than the other one. And that's how you got in. <laughs> and uh, it's, I mean, that's the most important thing is how hard your players work, I guess, and how good they are. But uh, that's what makes it interesting. And like, like I talked about Burnley and Sean Dice, like they don't just sit back and defend all the time. They don't. They, they actually press quite high, and they were quite quite aggressive in the way they attack. I was really surprised when I saw them play in real life, IRL, because you can actually see far more on the pitch than you can on TV and what their defenders are doing and where they're going. And uh, yeah, and like I said again, like Hassenhuttle, the, the way that Southampton play is is so good. If they had better players, he he could easily manage a team in the top four. Like, it wouldn't surprise me, this is a ridiculous thing I'm about to say, but it wouldn't surprise me if the reason he's gone from like Leipzig to um, Southampton would be that if Klopp were to then go to you know Real Madrid or something like that, they'd need someone who can do what he kind of does to keep it going on until they inevitably get Steven Gerrard in. And Hasenhut will be the exact kind of person that can do that. So it, it might be a, a clever career step, you never know. It's absolutely not. I know this is ridiculous. But yeah, that's uh, there's no trends going out of fashion more that there are more being brought in all of the time and people are adapting to their opponents far more often. Wonderful. What a time to be alive. <laughs> Let's talk about what happens next. The season returns on the 12th of September, which is, you will be aware, not very long at all. No. <laughs> How I feel like think... tomorrow. <laughs> exactly. How do we think pre-season is going to work? Presumably no, no big tours this summer. It'll be like the old days where Arsenal sort of played Barnet and you know Chelsea oh, and, and, and QPR. Or I think it's better. Oh, all right, Matt. Better. Don't put QPR in the same category as Barnet. <laughs> Barnet. I mean, Barnet to Arsenal was not what QPR is to Chelsea. <laughs> I mean, sort of uh, geographically local teams. Okay. Uh, all right. Of differing standards. Hayes and Yemen. Um, that's who you're looking for. Yes. So. I think it'll be good. I'd love all that. I mean, I had a great away day last year with, with Villa going to Charlton. I 
much rather that than the more touring around the world nonsense games. Um, <laughs> Another dig at the ICC. <laughs> yeah, massive dig. But I, I, I mean, the, the pre-season isn't going to look a lot different to what their sort of, in inverted commas, pre-season was in, in the lockdown. You know, they will have, I'm sure there'll be some behind, well, they'll all be behind closed doors, won't they? But they'll have some training ground friendlies and they'll have some sort of local friendlies. It's all they can do. I mean, Dean Smith said yesterday that his players have got three weeks off and then the three weeks to prepare for the season. So they've got they've just got three weeks basically back in pre-season training when they all get back, and that's going to be the same for most clubs. I think we'll also see Jose Mourinho in the park, you know, training in Dombele and, you know, a few other players. That should be fun. That was worth breaking lockdown for, wasn't it? Training in Dombele. <laughs> didn't, play, yeah. didn't play him. Let's have some music and a song for Europe. Juve, Mina, have won Syria. It's been coming. They tried to muck it up, but uh, couldn't couldn't be done, unfortunately. I, I watched Atalanta on Friday night. I was expecting big things from them at AC Milan, but they, they couldn't get it done either. Um, how will Juve look back on this season? It's been a real struggle since the uh, since football resumed. It's been... I think they've come out, in, and Bonucci especially has come out, who's been there for most of them, um, for the most of the title wins before, saying this is probably the hardest we've ever had to work to, to get a title um, because everything has changed. And the thing is, is that Juve have always been known as a club that is typically Italian, which is, you know, by hook or by crook, we'll win. Like, there's no style about us winning. Winning is the only thing that matters. We count trophies, not, you know, stylistic and, you know, patterns of play or whatever it is and for the first season I really do feel like they changed that by going for Maurizio Sarri it's almost like we don't want to just win boring anymore which is what it was under Allegri let's go for somebody that can really entertain us because we've got the likes of Dybala and Ronaldo and we can't get rid of Dybala so let's you know keep them on and try to make up fun for everyone and the thing is, it just wasn't because what you've got is a collection of players that don't really mesh well together in terms of tactics. You know, this isn't a team that knows how to play silky football. They're all pragmatic players that have individual quality or know how to do a specific thing well, but not really a team that is built in the image of, you know, some, something that a philosopher or a, a, a man with a clear tactical identity would want, to be honest. You know, you, you had basically like, you know, asking players to defend differently, asking teams. And also, this is an old squad. It's not really, you know, this spring chicken of a side. And the difference is that Allegri knew that. So he would play one way for 70 minutes and one way for 20 minutes, where sometimes they sat back or controlled the way that they would expend their energy over the time. But you're asking this young squad to constantly press from the front, to to play in this compact scheme, to... And it, it's hard. It's really hard to do it when you have players at the age that Juventus do. So I think there needs to be huge changes on it, on the transfer market if they do want to satisfy Maurizio Sarri. But this is what it is. You know, when Setien got the job at Barcelona, he came out and said, I can't believe they won't for me, you know? And it was almost <laughs> like... That's a little bit worrying, you know, like the fact that you can't believe that you should be here. And Sadie came out yesterday in the dressing room and was like, wow, you guys must be really good if you're going to win even under me, you know. And I'm like, what happened to the guys who believe in themselves, you know, like this is what it is. I mean, Sadie is a good guy and, and the team loves him. And but he's not somebody who sort of, you know, you want an Alex Ferguson. You want someone who walks in and says to you like, 
guys, come on, we're playing Spurs. You know, that, that kind of that kind of man in charge, you know, like Allegri was, who would be like, why can't you win the Champions League? Don't be ridiculous. Come on, let's go, you know? And this is my worry because you feel like now you're watching Juventus crack at the last minute. They don't know how to defend anymore. They're conceding goals in like 12 minutes, you know, like four in one go. And you're thinking they've lost that sort of ability to suffer at the back, this ability to get themselves over the line. And that comes with having people like Zinedine Zidane or just really arrogant members of staff at the helm, you know. But this is a win for the club in general, for the fact that the directors go and have a coffee with everyone there, that there's just this team mentality. And for Sadi on a personal level, going from a banker who just wanted to find personal satisfaction in his job, you know, it's wonderful for him to go from doing that to, to taking Juventus to their ninth title. Love the pictures of him were amazing. Yeah, I mean, for him, it's both, amazing. I mean, especially. literally cigarettes and alcohol. He had <laughs> champagne all over his head and a fag in his mouth, didn't he? <laughs> it was really funny because he had basically escaped as soon as the final whistle came because he wanted to smoke a cigarette because that was going to be his reward. And then he couldn't get there because they managed to, like, drown him in the champagne. So when he was doing his press conference, Chesney came up with a lit c- cigarette and said, you deserve this. And he was like, thank you. <laughs> oh, Excellent. I love that for all of for all of sari's weirdness there's there's definitely a side to love about him yeah he's definitely a very good guy in that sense yeah really beloved tell us about the premier league expats lukaku and sanchez scored for inter of course victor moses with them as well and aaron ramsey at uv have have they had good seasons Aaron Ramsey, no, he's come in for a lot of criticism. Um, also, he it's a bit unfair because he hasn't really been available. He's been injured for most of the time, but that's kind of like Ramsey's reputation, right? Um, so feel sorry for him. Lukaku's 23 goals. That's very impressive. Um, so he's had a very good season, yet he still comes in for some criticism at times because, you know, there'll be like a really clean shot to... to to one of his teammates but he'll take it and ruin it sometimes and then they'll be like oh Lukaku you know um but I think that he's working really well under Antonio Conte I've been very pleasantly surprised by Alexis Sanchez because obviously the guy got injured and he wasn't really available to make the mark but Gazetta wrote the other day that they think if Sanchez had been available throughout this entire season that you've that they would have really pushed Juventus for the title which is a lot to say on a player but because Lautaro Martinez, you know, the man that everyone wants, um, sort of started to fade a little bit around February onwards, um, and he's had a bad sort of restart to the, to the game. Nino Maravilla has been the guy who's really come in and just switched it up, really, really trying to prove himself at, at, at the top. And I think he's made a massive difference to Inter, to be honest. Um, so he's done really well. I think Ashley Young's done really well as well. Um, Victor Moses, you know, typical Conte player. But, uh, yeah, it seems to be like a whole collection going on there in in Inter. So let's see what happens next year. French football has also reawakened from its slumber. The French Cup took place over the weekend. PSG won against St Etienne. But the main talking point was a massive brawl. What happened? Oh, God, it was awful. Did you guys watch this? Um, So this is the first time that, like... (laughs) Did we watch it? (laughs) Did you not? (laughs) Of course we did. Of course we didn't watch it. The last day of the Premier League. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's also true. I actually, but this, this is why you're good. That. You're here to tell us about it because there's no way anyone watched it. <laughs> but this you're the only person. You're the only person in the whole country who watched it. <laughs> I've got no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> this doesn't bode well for PSG. <laughs> 
So this is the, you know, this is the big French Cup. And basically it was going to be um, Emmanuel Macron was going to it. They were going to have fans in the stadium. Uh, they were allowed up to 5,000 people to watch this game. That is like, you know, 2,000 or nearly 3,000 spectators. And the rest are like family members and people who work in the stadium. And it was going to be really exciting to watch football resume. It was like, you know wow, this was going to be the moment and we're going to see Neymar and, and, and Mbappe. And then this is Saint-Étienne, who, again, for the third game in a row, managed recklessness. And basically, they take out Kylian Mbappe um, and a huge brawl breaks out and he gets and, and the player gets a red card. Now, the player is Loic Perrin and he's been with Saint-Étienne for... 17 years this was going to be his last game before he retires so for him to be red carded over what is nothing more like what is just so awful a horror tackle where Mbappe said that he he heard his ligaments being crushed um incidentally he's you know a lot better than that but it was just horrible because this is a player that they're going to depend on and, and they finally have like a good matchup in the Champions League and they finally think that they might be able to do well because they're avoiding a lot of the big boys um, for the moment. So to have that happen to your, what is considered your probably your best player, honestly, alongside Neymar, it was it was harsh. And, and Tuchel came out and said, why does this always happen against Setien? Why do they always get a player sent off in the first 30 minutes? I can understand it if it's happening at the end of the game and you may be able to blame tiredness, but it doesn't. This isn't right. And so when this happened, a brawl broke out and the Saint-Etienne like, goalkeeper was like running 25 meters to try to push Marquinhos out of the way. And, and it just turned into a massive like fight. And now I'm a little bit worried about PSG because honestly, they weren't very good in this game. And if they lose Mbappe for the Champions League, I think that's going to be bad for them, especially when you consider the fact that Di Maria is suspended for this match. Um, they've lost certain players going forward. You know, Mounier has moved over to Borussia Dortmund. Carrera also managed to get an injury. So this is going to be hard for them going forward. And like you didn't see them play this game and think, oh yeah, PSG look good. Obviously, they haven't played football in a really long time. And despite their individual qualities, Saint-Étienne was better. There you go. Let's finish off with this question we put to our friends on social media, which was as follows. Marouane Fellaini scored an eighth-minute headed hat-trick for Shandong Luneng this weekend. If not this one, then what is the greatest hat-trick of all time? We had some very punchy responses on social media, some very angry people uh, who were very <laughs> sure of themselves. Daniel said, without question, Rivaldo versus Valencia, last day of the season to get Champions League for Barca. Peter says, Robbie Fowler versus Arsenal, obviously, considering the legendary status of Arsenal's defence. And Michael says, really, that's what you're asking? Now, didn't somebody <laughs> once score a hat-trick in a World Cup final? Hashtag Hurst. Well done, Michael. What have you got, Matt? Well, I immediately thought towards the perfect hat-tricks where you score with your right foot, your left mm. foot and your head. Uh, the one I sort of remembered was <laughs> Peter Crouch um, mm. against Arsenal. Um, quite a long time ago for, for Liverpool, he scored a, a, a very good perfect hat-trick. Um, but then the most iconic one, I mean, this isn't the best hat-trick in terms of the quality of the goal, and this player's definitely scored much better goals, but the most iconic one that jumped to my head was Michael Owen against Germany, uh, 2001, in that 5-1 victory, just because the, the result and the performance was so stunning. And 
I, I, I made myself rewatch this this morning and is it me or did Michael Owen's career just go in a like slash? Yeah, that's Michael how I feel too. It, it, it started, it was incredible and it was over before you knew it and now he's a really boring pundit. <laughs> and I think it's really easy to lose sight and forget how incredible Michael Owen was and I definitely had. And it just feels, his, his career can't have gone as quickly as it feels in my head like it did. Um, so I'm going to give it to Michael Owen just purely <laughs> to remember how great he was and to remember that 5-1 win. Good. Mina? It's got to be anything that Ronaldo does, right? I mean, for me on a personal level, it's obviously the hat-trick that he managed against Atletico Madrid last year. I thought that was just fantastic because, you know, Juve for sure thought they were out and then he came back and just was like, yeah, no, you know, Diego Simeone, I'm not going to watch you, you know, touch yourself. I'm going to prove to you that I can get a hat-trick too. Um, but can we also just his stop? <laughs> You've got to explain that. <laughs> no, no, you know how he held on to himself and went, oh, got you, got you, got you, got you. It's, okay. it's that, nothing more. <laughs> and But probably his best hat-trick was actually the one against uh, Sweden in 2014. Um the World Cup, and that was just, it was amazing, because it also, you know, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, Sweden, and he managed to get, you know, his, a beautiful goal, and then one with his weaker foot, and then just, you know, sealed it off. Ronaldo, you can always depend on him. How about you, JJ? Well, I mean, it's, there's only one choice really here, which was of uh, which was on Andrew Considine's hat trick in the 7-0 win for Aberdeen over Dundee yeah. in, a, <laughs> yeah, in March 2017. Two headers right next to the goalkeeper, a sliding a connection off the off the toe from a, a free kick late on. His first ever hat-trick, then in, in context, he's a left-back and he's not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but now, this is one of the weird things. He's one of those players that came through and you always thought, he's rubbish, you can't play. And now he is, without doubt, one of my favourite ever Aberdeen players, having stayed there his entire career. Uh, that hat-trick got him one of those little, on FIFA Ultimate Team, you get these Player of the Week things, you got one of those cards, which was nice. Yeah, wonderful. Wonderful. Lovely business. Well done, everyone. That's your lot for this week. We'll be back with you once more this season next Monday to look over the FA Cup final and preview the return of European football. You can contact me before then, if you like, on Twitter. It's at Tom with an H. Gibbs. Send us an email too if that's the sort of thing you enjoy doing. AFC podcast at telegraph.co.uk is the address. We'll read out the very best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You would regret it if you missed our final episode of the season. Search for Telegraph Audio Football Club wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon. 